The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our, de or what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn back to our gospel text for the evening. What do you see? in that short text in Luke. What do you see? Luke has recorded this text of the crucifixion in such a way that it almost demands that we all, hearing it, put ourselves in the crowd, in the people who, as he says, stood by watching. So as we're there watching, what do you see? This is political theater at its finest, isn't it? Rome is showing you what power looks like, what peace costs. Rome wants you to look upon these three men, the blood from their flogging starting to scab, the breath in their lungs coming in shorter and shorter stabs. Rome wants you to feel what these men feel in every nerve of their mangled bodies that her power is absolute, and submission to her lordship will happen, even if it takes nails and hammers and violence. Rome wants you to see what a complete failure it is to attempt sedition and subversion. So what do you see? The religious leaders want you to see what happens when you try to unravel their fragile grasp on power. They want you to see the disfigurement that comes as a result of blasphemy. So what do you see? There are men who seem to have a firm grasp on power so complete in their victory that they turn to mocking their enemy as he slowly dies. If you stick closely with Luke, you'll see three cycles of mocking, one from the rulers, one from the soldiers, and one from one of the criminals. 
these cycles of scorn are ascending. It's one thing to be mocked by rulers. It's another to be mocked by common soldiers. And it is something completely debasing to be mocked by a criminal who spends his dying breath cursing. But with each scornful chorus, Luke is actually inviting us to see the truth. It is a deep and disturbing irony that each of these groups in their scorn and derision actually speaks the truth. Three times, out of the mouths of three different groups, Jesus is referred to as Messiah, Christ, God's anointed one. Even in the sarcastic sign tacked above the head of the dying Christ, the truth is declared. Here hangs the king of the Jews. So what do you see? Father John Baer is an Orthodox theologian, and for the last few years, he has been teasing out the ripples of this statement that he makes all the time. And if you hear him say, that, say it more than once, it, it sort of is like an earworm. It just gets into your brain, and over time, it just starts to eat away at you a little bit. And the statement is this. Christ shows us what it is to be God in the way that he dies as a human being. Christ shows us what it is to be God in the way that he dies as a human being. What you see with the eyes of faith in this text is the crucified king of the universe. What the scoffers see is a man who lost control of his plan and ended up getting crushed under the ever-turning wheel of empire. A man who finally, in passivity, recognizes his own failure and succumbs to execution at the hands of the powerful. But what Luke and the other writers of Scripture invite us to see is the scandal of the gospel. God has not overplayed his hand. Rather, this is exactly what was designed to happen. Not simply as a footnote or an aberration to the kingship of Christ, but as the focal point of it. The scandal of God the Son's violent death is not a skeleton at the back of his closet. It is not a dirty secret that he wishes to keep hidden from his political enemies. This is his coronation. Even for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we seem to have this idea that the human Jesus just needs to get through this horrifying chapter and get past it so that he can get on with the real kingship, the real ruling. Tucked down in our theology somewhere, we have this assumption that Jesus waited out death for a few days and then popped back up to say, ha, you can't kill me, and I hereby abolish death. But that isn't actually what Luke portrays at all, nor do the subsequent writers of the New Testament. The risen Christ didn't turn back time and somehow undo all of the suffering he endured. No, he reigns now and forever as the crucified king. Crucified king. As the Apostle John tells us in his apocalyptic vision, the one who stands in the center of the throne room is none other than the lamb who was slain. John tells us later in that account that the lamb who was slain was slain before the foundations of the earth. Somehow, the king is crucified even outside of time. As Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossian church, 
God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. A few verses later, Paul makes this picture even more stark when he says that in Christ's crucifixion, God was erasing the record that stood against us with all its legal demands. Quote, he sets this record aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. What Paul is describing here is a practice of kings who would go out and conquer their enemies. And after they had conquered, they would have a big parade through the citadel. And they would put their prisoners on display to show their people what their power looks like. This is what kings do. But he's saying that it's actually in the cross, in the bloody crucifixion of Christ, that God is parading around the defeated rulers and powers of the world. Can you imagine anything so upside down? To the human eye, it looks as if Christ has failed. And yet to the eye of faith, you see that God is parading around his enemies who have been destroyed in Christ's death. This is perhaps best summed up in John's gospel. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he references again and again his coming exaltation. At one point, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. Exaltation, as we commonly use it, means an elevation in rank usually accompanied with euphoria, right? You're just exalting in this, this promotion, this new thing. But in John's usage, exaltation means being lifted up onto the hardwood of the cross. Christ's ascendancy to the throne and his being lifted up on a Roman cross are one and the same thing. This is the starting point of all theology. There is no other world but the one where God comes and dies, and in so doing sets into motion the renewal and resurrection of all things. This is the foundation of all Christian theology. But what does it actually mean for us? Well, it means everything but I'll focus on just a couple. The first is one that we have been talking about for a while around here. And that is that there is no avoiding death. We live in a culture that longs to distract us at every moment from the reality that there is one thing that every single person in this room shares in common. We will all die. Death is unavoidable. More distinctly, there is no pathway that gets around the cross of Christ. The cross is something you are either repelled by as something too foolish, too awful, too pitiful, too wasteful, too much of a failure, or the cross is the thing that you are baptized into. By the Spirit's power, you are given the eyes of faith to see that this is the place of victory, this is the place of peace. And that it is only on the other side of this death that the cross requires that true life really lies. It is by entering into Christ's cross and his death through baptism 
that God has, as Paul says in our New Testament lesson, rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Which, of course, means that to follow Christ is to live out that baptism, to live out that joining in death. It is to walk in the way of the cross and in death to self. But it is to see death to self not as acquiescence and victimhood, but as the way to victory over the kingdom of darkness. It is the way to be established in true eternal life. The other thing that it means is that Christ's royalty and his redeeming work are linked. Christ's kingship over all of the universe is inextricably sown into his work as Savior. So when we talk about the feast of Christ the King, we are talking about this moment where he is working out salvation for his people. So yes, his kingship is absolute, So there should be a catch in our throat. We should have a little bit of fear because he is the man whom God has declared he will judge all the earth. He is king over all. But don't miss his goodness. His goodness goes beyond description and all knowledge. He is like a mother hen who longs to cover his chicks with his wings. He is like a father who has spent every day scanning the horizon for his rebellious son, who when he sees him finally returning, runs to him and cuts off his rebellious son's attempt at apology with hugs and kisses and then throws a party. He is like a good shepherd who goes out into danger and discomfort in order to rescue his lost sheep that he knows by name. The mercy and goodness of Jesus are so, so good that even in this moment, this central moment of the mystery of the whole universe, in the midst of his own pain and death, where we're told that the sky went black as night in the middle of the day and the earth quaked and split and the curtain of the temple was ripped in two as God the Son is nearing the end, nearing death, nearing the pain of separation from his Father, he what? He still hears the deathbed confession of a criminal. And in that moment, it is as if they are the only two people in the world. And Jesus looks back at this man hanging next to him. And he says, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. So what do you see? A crucified king who brings peace unlike any other king on earth before or since because he brings peace not by shedding the blood of his enemies, but by shedding the blood of his own veins. If you don't see that, then ask the Spirit to give you the eyes of faith that you might see King Jesus as he really is, the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth, 
and that the Spirit might empower you to say along with the rest of us criminals, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.